Los Angeles police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 19. A young woman, a material witness in a federal case, mysteriously dies of poisoning. Foul play suspected. Pick up what you can, boys. That's all. Rolling keepers. Ladies and gentlemen, do you get police car performance from the gasoline you are now using? If not, have you tried Rio Grande Plaque with Setra Ethel? You don't have to take our word. Just consider the facts. More police cars, fire engines, motorcycles, and ambulances operated by cities and counties in Southern California and Arizona are powered with Rio Grande Crack than all other brands combined. You can get this same gasoline at any independent station flying the big banner with the word crack upon it. Try a tank full today and learn what police car performance really means. For ideal results, try also the lower cost for mild lubrication, afforded by Sinclair, Pennsylvania, and Sinclair Opening Motor Oil. Sold only in extra major tamper proof cans at no extra cost. Once more, we are honored to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. He Good evening, friends. The high efficiency of the law enforcement officers of this state is directly traceable to the fact that there is a maximum of cooperation between all police departments, sheriff's departments, and state police, together with the spirit of cooperation between them and federal law enforcement agents. We have attempted during these broadcasts to tell our listeners true stories concerning the work and activities of these law enforcement agencies, and more particularly, the work of your police department. On rare occasions, because of public policy, it has been necessary to use fictitious names, but at all times, the facts have been authentic and accurate. Tonight, we bring you the story of a case involving the work of federal law enforcement officers, with whom the police department is at all times cooperating. In a highly civilized country such as ours, it has been possible for us to build up a system of law enforcement which has the power of the federal, state, county, and city governments back of it. All of these branches find it necessary each day to cooperate one with the other. As this story unfolds, you will see how important it is for all of these agencies to so cooperate. Professor Lindsley will now go on with the story. Our story tonight goes back ten years to the Atlantic Seacoast for its opening chapter. Robert Sims, a teller in a Jersey City bank, has, for reasons known best to him, insinuated himself into the friendship of Frank Barton, a prominent young businessman and a depositor in Sims Bank. Barton, liking the young man, has invited him to a dance at the country club. I'll 
come here in that bone dancing, Bobby. Oh, I'm just saving enough energy to stand on my feet all day in that fellow stage at the bank tomorrow. What's the matter? Aren't you enjoying yourself? Sure I am, Frank. I'm having a swell time. It was awfully decent of you to ask me out here. Not at all. We're friends, aren't we? Yes, we are. You're a real friend, and I want you to know how much I appreciate all you've done for me. Now, nobody should be sure of friendship until they put it to a real test. Or the old saying, a friend must bear a friend's infirmity. I wonder if you'd still be my friend if you knew all my infirmities. <laughs> I'll take a chance on you anytime. Oh, I wish I was sure. What's that? Oh, nothing, nothing. Well, come on, let's get another highball. All right, let's go. Hey, Frank, look at that beautiful blonde just coming in. Yeah, I see her. Who is she? Name's Mary Ross. You know her? Yes, lovely. Hey, introduce me, will you? I'd like to know her well. Oh, darling. I'm so sorry I'm late. I couldn't get away from the family any sooner. You're not angry, dear, are you? Not at all, Mary. I'll take my wraps in and I'll be with you in just a few. All right, darling. Oh, that's why you didn't introduce me, eh? You old philanderer, Frank. You're a respectable married man. Now, just a minute. This is different from what you think. Now, I understand all right, and I congratulate you. He certainly is gorgeous. Hey, wait a minute, Bob. You don't understand. Now, listen. Uh, let's step out here on the balcony for a moment. I'm going to place a confidence in you that I would never trust to another man. As the cold moon pencils the shadows between men on the deserted balcony, fate sends the first mesh of a web, destined to entrap three souls, sending a woman to her death and two men to prison. For 15 minutes, Frank Barton seeks to explain his position to his friend, seeks to justify his actions to himself. You've got to understand me, Bob. I was married when I was just a kid. You know what is just puppy love. One other thing. And if it hadn't been for my little daughter, I'd have gotten a divorce years ago. As it was, I was more or less satisfied to let things slide along. That was before Mary came. Then I really got to know what love was. Uh, sure, Frank, that the 400000 you told me Mary was going to inherit hasn't influenced you? Not a bit. I'd love her if she were penniless. Hey, I didn't expect you to say a thing like oh, that. Oh, now, don't get excited, Frank, I believe you. Thanks, I hope you would. Well, I, I trust I haven't bored you to death. Why, of course not. You know, they say that confession is good for the soul. Yes, you bet it is. While we're on the subject of confessions, I've got one to make. I'm in a terrible hole at the bank. What do you mean? I mean that I stole $1,000 from you. $1,000 from me? Boy, what are you talking about? Well, I needed money. I couldn't live on the measly pittance they call a salary. Well, I took a thousand dollars. The bank examiners were coming, and I was desperate. Well, I drew a thousand dollars from your account to cover my debt. You mean that you embezzled bank funds and then covered it from my account? Yes. Well, then you're nothing but a common thief. Yes, if you want to call me that. It makes us sort of equal, Frank. The only difference is that I stole money and you stole love. Well, well why don't you say something? What are you going to do about it? Ten minutes ago, you were holding forth on friendship. You said you'd take a chance on me any old time. I'll pay the money back every cent of it if you only give me a chance. Well, that's why you tried to build up a friendship between you. Yes, huh? that's why. Because I thought you would be my friend. You've got to help me. Oh, now, wait a minute. Meet me tomorrow night at Sony's, and we'll work out something. You mean you won't tell the bank? 
Well, I'm not promising anything now. No, if you'll only help me this once, Frank, I'll do anything for you. Anything. Hello, Mary. Hello, Frank. 
Hello, Bob. How do you feel? Oh, not so hot, Mary. I've just been getting a moral lecture from Frank. Well, I don't wonder, Bob. Oh, I guess he's right, and I'm sorry. I'll, I'm going to lay off the liquor. I, I promise, really, I am. Thanks, Bob. I'm sure you'll keep your word this time. Sure, I will. And say, Frank, how about that doll? Okay, here's $20. Now, listen. We're having the reads over tonight for an evening of cards. And try and be there, will you? It's pretty hard to keep on explaining the absence of the alleged husband of a household. Oh, I'll be here. I'll be back about 8 o'clock. Nine o'clock. Ten o'clock comes and goes. The card game proceeds as Mary gallantly tries to pass off her husband's absence to her friends by explaining that he's been detained at the office by a big deal he is closing. Then, at ten thirty... Good time, too. All right, all right. Give it, Jim. Where's the place, Jim? 
This lady. Is this woman your wife? Oh, she's not his wife. She's my wife. And he's poor because I tried to kiss her. You better drop that knife. Sure, I'll drop it. But, but this lousy bum isn't going to hang around my house anymore. It's just too bad when a man can't kiss his own wife just because of the larger object. Well, come on, all of you. What's the charge? Well, we'll call it a seven apiece. Things look kind of funny here to me. Maybe headquarters would want to do a little checking up on you, Bird. <laughs> Frightened by the serious situation into which her love for Frank Barton had led her, Mary Ross contested the whole plot for the officers who questioned her. The minor charge of disturbing the peace is dismissed, and Barton and Sims are held in the Los Angeles County Jail charged with conspiracy to defeat the federal statute and with violation of the Mann Act. Mary Ross is held under $500 bail as a material witness, and the preliminary hearing is set for 2 p.m. Thursday, March 12, 1925. Late Thursday morning, Sims and Barton secure the services of an attorney who hears their side of the story. When Mary Ross is into the courtroom a few minutes before the hearing, the attorney for the defense immediately engages her in conversation. You're Mrs. Sims? Yes. My name is Jackson. Your husband, Mr. Barton, detained me to defend them. And before the hearing begins, I'd like to know your status of the case. Oh, Mr. Jackson, hmm? this is such a terrible thing. I'm so ashamed. Being in jail, I'll never live down the disgrace. Yes, I can understand how you feel, and I sympathize with you deeply. And I think I've made a terrible mistake. I didn't know what to do when they arrested me. I've never been arrested before. Yes, I understand. Well, those women down in the jail, they told me I'd done a terrible thing. They were horrid to me. What did you do? Well, when I was questioned by the officers, I, I told them the truth. I confessed everything. What? Yes. Now I realize I did the wrong thing. Well, you certainly did. Tell me this. How, uh, what are they, uh, how are they holding you? As a material witness. Oh, only material witness, eh? What's the bond? Five hundred dollars. You realize then that you're expected to repeat your statements in court? But in any case, nothing will happen to yes, you. I realize all that, but I don't care about myself. I want to get Frank out of this. I love him so. Now, look here, Mrs. Jones. You listen to me, I'm sure we can get him off. Can we? How? Oh, I don't know what to do. Will you agree to let me represent you? Yes, if you can only get Frank off. Very well. Now, I'll post bail for you just as soon as the hearing's over. Now, all you need to do is to agree to speak to anyone. Don't discuss this case with a soul. For everyone to me. You see, if you don't testify, prosecution has no case. And Barton will be released. Very well, I promise. Remember what I said? Here comes the prosecuting attorney now. Well, I beg your pardon, Mrs. Sims. There are a couple of matters I wish to discuss with you. Uh, this young lady is my client and has been instructed not to talk to you or anyone else. Now, you kindly make all communications with her through me. Is that right, Mrs. Sims? Yes. Well, you can't do this. I promise not to prosecute you. All I want from you is a statement. Mrs. Sims understands that, but I've advised her not to make any statements. Why, you shite, I'll be careful what you say. You've no right to. To what? <laughs> Take your principal witness? <laughs> Sorry, old man. Well, I'll object. I'll have you disbarred. Quiet, the commissioner. 
well as the woman held his material witness. And uh, as I was called in on this case only two hours ago, I'd, I'd like a little time to confer with my client. You worked pretty fast in those two hours. I'm surprised you haven't prepared your case, too. Your Honor, I'm quite willing to proceed. Now, if the prosecuting attorney will stipulate whether the California statute, which does not permit a wife to testify against her husband, also holds good in federal court. Your Honor, I, I do not see how this has any bearing on the case. The counsel for the defense has willfully diverted the course of justice in bribing... I object, Your Honor. I've acted merely in my capacity as counsel for the defense. I beg the court's pardon. Your Honor, I have not had precisely the same question arise before. If the court pleases to give me a little time, I... The defense attorney's new point of law successfully ties up the proceedings. His next move is to go bond for Mary Ross. But when the bonding agent appears at the county jail, she is not there. Suspecting attempts to influence his witness, the attorney obtains a writ of habeas corpus from federal judge Paul J. McCormick. And by 10.30 that evening, Mary Ross is delivered into his hands. But the following Monday, at the Glendale Sanitarium, Mary Ross is found dead. Chester Allen of the homicide detail of the sheriff's office takes over the case. How did Mary Ross meet her death? Allen questions Barton and Sims, realizing that the inheritance of $400,000 which she was soon to receive might have been a motive for their interest in her death. Both men acquit themselves on this score. Painstaking investigations reveal that Mary had a slight cold sore on her lips when she and the attorney met Thursday evening. That the sore was worse on Friday when she appeared before the grand jury and refused to make a statement. That she went to the Glendale Sanitarium Saturday morning. That she talked to her attorney at the sanitarium Saturday afternoon and asked him to send East for her brother. That she made a will stipulating that Sims was to get none of her inheritance and that Barton and her brothers were to share it equally. The mystery ends in the grand jury's opinion that Mary Ross had died from the infection, contracted to a cold sore on her lips, and the investigation stops until Mary's brother arrives in California. He is not content with the grand jury's verdict. He orders the body exhumed and an autopsy performed. The autopsy reveals that Mary Ross met her death from poisoning. Alan and his colleagues ponder this new development. Now, here's the situation, boys. Barton and Sims are out of the question. This Sims is a rat, but he didn't have had the girl poisoned. He shouldn't have. He was in the county jail. Barton loves her too much. He's on the level. Yeah, that's right. But she could have received the wound during that fight at the apartment. Mm, yes, she could have, but we've got no report that she was wounded in the fight. Oh, that's right, we haven't. Of course, she was in the tank at the county jail. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Her attorney testified that she said that the women down there had treated her brutally. Oh, he did. Well, now, there's an angle. You know what those names are. Well, let's ask the matron about this. Mrs. Sullivan, matron at the county jail, offers the officers every cooperation in their investigation. Painstakingly, they questioned the women, 
who had contacted Mary during her three days in jail. After hours of interrogation, the officers have found nothing. They are questioning a shoplifter. You were in the tank with Mrs. Sims? Sure I was. One of it. Did she act strangely? Oh, no. She acted like any high-hat Jane does the first time she's in the posy. What do you mean by that? Oh, trying to rich everybody. Like she was better than, than we was, a dirty little snitcher. She's got a lot to be proud of squealing on her old man. <laughs> we're not here to discuss jail ethics. Did she ever say that she was going to end her life? No. She says when she got out, she was going to show Barton how sorry she was if she spilled a bean. Oh, all right. Take her away. Bring in Pearl Washington. Well, we didn't get very far with that one. No, but maybe we'll have better luck with this colored girl. You were with Mrs. Sims up until the time she was here, weren't you? So I was. But Dad won my children. She got what was coming to her that she did nothing to them schooling. I wasn't asking for any of you. No, but I've been in your mind. Listen, what do you know about this poison? You're with her every minute. I don't know nothing. And if I did, I ain't gonna know this. Oh, yes, you are. First thing you know, you're going to be pulled in on a murder charge. A uh, murder charge? I didn't have nothing to do with that death charge. And who did? Nobody, as I know, it just happened, that's all. Oh, we know it happened all right. I think we'll book you if you don't tell us what you know. No, I didn't. Book me for murder. Look at here, I'm a respectable pickpocket. I, I know murder. Well, let's have a truth then. Well, day before court, that girl asked us for some lipstick. And nobody give her none. Your snitch. Then one-eyed Maggie, she kicks a sock at her. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> what a lamb, and she gives that blonde girl. You remember Mrs. Sims and Maggie got into a fight? Yeah. Then the matron come, and she stole everything. She put some ointment on the blonde girl's lips, where it got sweat. Well, what's all this got to do with her getting poisoned? Wait a minute, big boy. Wait a minute. I'm coming to death. She wanted lipstick, so she could look nice for her cellar down the coast. Well, after all, the row cleared up. Nobody given on tea. So she picked up one of them artificial roses that we make out of a red paper. And she whistled. And she rubbed the red on her lips. She gave her lipstick. Well? The MSU knows that the dye and the red paper and poison. She didn't swallow any of it, did she? No, sir, but I've got to figure it out that some of that dye in the, in the paper, you know, of those uh, roses that we make, got in the store and uh, she had it on her lips. Working backwards, the investigators discover that the poison in the dye used in the red flowers is the same as the poison that caused the death of Mary Ross. So the death of the love trapped girl could be blamed on no one. Could be blamed only on her great love for Barton, for whom she threw away social position, respect, and everything. But there still remains to be told the disposition of the plotters of this bizarre case. Sims, after much bargaining, turns state evidence and assists investigators in acquiring sufficient evidence to convict Barton. Sims startles to himself as the jury files back into the courtroom after having been out for 20 minutes. He anticipates the life he will lead on the $400,000 he will inherit from his legal, if not actual, wife. We have, Your Honor. Read the verdict. We find the defendant, Frank Barton, guilty of conspiracy to defeat the federal statute and the violation of the Mann Act. Well, I guess that lets me out. Well, I guess I'm not so dumb to any state's evidence. Tough on poor Frank, but I sure saved my neck. Well, so long, attorney, for the defense. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, what for, Your Honor? I've committed no crime. I, I married the girl in name only. I've done nothing. I understand that. Married the girl in name only. She was never really your wife. You testified to that in this courtroom. Therefore, you are an accessory to the crime. You helped the defendant here in an effort to obtain the manage. I also understand that you have made quite a statement regarding your anticipation of sharing in the inheritance of your late wife in name only. May I point out to you that if the jury which tries your case tomorrow finds you guilty, you will also automatically give up all claims to the estate of your late legal wife. and was found guilty. In view of his turning state's evidence, the court sentenced him to the two years in Leavenworth Penitentiary, while Martin received two and a half years. This case is an interesting example of the interrelations between the federal, county, and municipal police organizations and points once more the eternal moral that should be graven in the minds of every youth in the land. The old, time-worn, but everlastingly true maxim, crime does not pay be it murder, robbery, forgery, or only a violation of the city ordinance. You cannot beat the law. Crime does not pay. Ladies and gentlemen, you are too modest in your claims for Rio Grande cracked gasoline with Tetra Ethel, an enthusiastic motorist to write them. That is a policy of Rio Grande to tell you only the facts about cracked gasoline. That is why we just remind you that the cracking process produces a gasoline that averages 10 points higher in natural anti-knock quality than gasoline which are not cracked. But cracked was a forerunner in adding tetraethyl lead. These statements would mean very little if it were not for this proof of the superior acceptance of Rio Grande cracks. Here it is. More police cars, fire engines, motorcycles, and ambulances operated by cities and counties in Southern California and Arizona, are powered with Rio Grande cracks with tetraethyl than all other brands combined. Try Rio Grande cracks for 30 days. Make every test. If you are like thousands of other motorists, you will never change back. Good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.